Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Okay, Uh, how you doing? So we're starting a new series today about uh, Joseph, and uh, we're using the book Dream to Destiny. So we're operating out of this Robert Morris book, and so I don't have to study. I just preach the sermons that he has. Uh, I wish that worked that way. Uh, So we have those books available and a workbook. It's an excellent book, excellent workbook. Uh, We were able to get them at wholesale prices. And we have 50 sets or so. We don't have that many left, but they're at the welcome table. As you're leaving, they're on the left-hand side, the well, side of the welcome center. And, and 10 sets. We have 10 sets of books left. So if you want to you know, leave the service right now and go get one and sneak back in, uh, you can just scan the QR code to buy it. And uh, don't steal it or then your destiny is in trouble. Uh, <laughs> So, so we're starting on this new series about seeing our dreams realized, and this is all about the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was 17 when this dream begins to be fulfilled in his life. He's 30 when it actually, he begins to see the actual dream. He's in the process of seeing that dream fulfilled. That's, that time from 17 to 30 is not wasted time. But it is time where God is preparing him for the fulfillment of that dream. And to do that, he has to pass 10 tests. So we're going to be talking each week about these 10 tests that we have to pass to be, for God to be able to use us fully to see our dream fulfilled. So it's the pride test, the pit test. That's not, check to see if you're okay. Uh, <laughs> the palace test, the purity test. I did that on the camera. I probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, The prison test, the prophetic test, the power test, the prosperity test, the pardon test, and the purpose test. Uh, So these were were tests that Joseph had to pass, not to just step into his destiny, not not just for it to happen, but actually for it to fulfill it. So this is, you know, this is for a 17-year-old, but it's also, no matter what age you're at, God wants to fulfill his destiny in you. And he will never really fulfill his destiny completely in you until you get to heaven. So if you're not dead, if you're not dead, raise your hand. Uh, But if you're not dead, then God still has destiny to fulfill in you. God still has purpose uh, and things that he wants to accomplish in you. So that's a, you know, That's a lot of tests, isn't it? And so we're going to be talking about these tests. Joseph was 17 when he had the dream. He's 30 when he begins to step into the destiny. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah. And the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father, to their father. So Joseph's 17. That's an important point. Now, some of you are close to 17. Is anybody in here 17? Okay, we've got, we have, is that just just one 17-year-old? 
Is anybody close to 17? Like you're 15, 16. <laughs> Mentally, yes, I know. Okay, yeah. So 17's up. I don't know if you remember some, you know, because some of you are close to 17, and, you know, for some of us, 17's a small speck in the rearview mirror. Uh, it's, it's a ways back. Uh, I don't know if you remember 17, but 17 is hard. Because you're, you're not really mature yet. You're, you're still kind of a child and you're still kind of, and you're moving into adulthood and you're just kind of at this difficult crossroads. Uh, the Bible, I mean, not the Bible. They tell us that, that at that age, the brain, the, the part that involves logic is not fully developed. Here's what the University of Rochester says. In teens' brains, this is going to explain a lot to you. The connection between the emotional part of the brain and the decision-making center are still developing and not always at the same rate. That's why when teens have overwhelming emotional input, they can't explain later what they were thinking. They weren't thinking as much as they were feeling. So that makes sense, doesn't it? So you're no longer a child, but you're not really an adult. You feel like an adult. When you're 17, you feel like you're an adult. You feel like these idiot parents. Uh, if I can just shed this dead weight, man, I'm no telling what dreams I'll fulfill. Uh, you know, but you, you, uh, you feel like an adult. You feel, feel like you know everything. Uh, but, and, and it's, I mean, it's a reality. You're, 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 getting, you're moving into a place of independence, so you feel like an adult, but you're probably still not adulting much. For most, some 17-year-olds, yes, but for most 17-year-olds in our culture today, uh, let's say, you know, your, your parents are probably still footing most of the bill. If you're 17, uh, they're providing you with a place to live. Uh, as a 17-year-old, two important things. They're probably helping you with your cell phone bill. Uh, which is, you know, life and death. If you didn't have that, you would probably die. Uh, and the other is food. And what's, the other thing that's really important to a 17-year-old is food. Uh, but then, you know, if you have a car, they probably helped you get a car. And if you've got insurance, you, could, you, you, al- you almost could not get insurance by yourself because it would be so expensive. It's, and guess what? It's still expensive. So your parents, in grace and mercy, have put you on their policy, knowing that it's going to raise their rates because you're going to wreck a car. You're going to hit something, and hopefully it's not too expensive. So they've helped you with insurance and, uh, you know, phone and maybe even some school. They're preparing for school. And you may be working. It's common. A lot of 17-year-olds work, you know. Maybe they're uh, working it in and out or something like that. There might be somebody in here that works it in out. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, maybe you're throwing hamburgers around. But here's the thing about, you know, when you're 17 and you make money, whose money is it? Is it mine? Are you paying bills? I mean, are you paying the electric bill with that money? Are you, pay, are you pitching in on the mortgage? Probably not. You're probably spending it on you. Which is okay, but it just shows that you're, you're not independent really yet. You feel independent. And so you feel like an adult, uh, but, you know, if most of us, if we look back at our 17-year-old self, 
You know, if you can remember that far back, it's, it's quite a journey for me. But if you can remember back to your 17-year-old self, you think, wow, it is amazing that I survived. Because, you know, so Joseph has that going for him. He's 17. He's at a crossroads. He's at a difficult place in life. And one of the, you know, one of the many difficult places in life, it's not the only difficult place, but it's a place of challenge as you're transitioning from a child to adulthood. It's a reality. And then Joseph came from a family that was pretty messed up. So if you see this, Bilhi was Rachel's maid and Zilpah was Leah's maid. And you're like, what is that all about? Leah had six sons, Bilhi had two, Zilpah had two, and Rachel had two. That's 12 sons in all. So the backstory is that uh, Jacob tricked his father Isaac and had to flee from Esau. Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and Esau should have gotten the birthright, but Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob for a meal, for a pot of beans. And then with Rebekah helped Jacob deceive his father and dress like he was Esau. Esau was red and hairy. He was covered with hair. And so they cooked a meal for him and covered his body with the skins of animals so that he could say, I'm, I'm Esau, bless me. And Jacob's like, uh, I mean, uh, Jacob's like, not Jacob. Uh, Isaac says, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And so he gives Jacob Esau's blessing, and then Esau is ticked off about that, and he wants to kill his brother. It's kind of a family problem already, right? Uh, Cain killed Abel. So, uh, so he's, he's wanting to kill his brother, and so, so Jacob runs off, and he runs off to Rebekah's family, and there he finds a wife, a, a woman that he loves, and he wants to marry her. So Laban says, well, you can marry her, Rachel. Just, here's what the Bible says about Leah and Rachel. So there's two sisters, Leah and Rachel. It says, Leah had weak eyes. And Rachel was beautiful in form and face. So what you'd say about Leah is that she had a great personality. <laughs> Leah had a great personality. And, uh, but, but Rachel was beautiful. And so he, he's, Jacob's in love with Rachel. And he says to Laban, Laban. Uh, Laban's a tricky guy. He says, Laban, uh, what can I do to marry Rachel? He says, you're going to have to work for me seven years. So he works for seven years for Laban so that he can, so he can marry Rachel. And so they have the wedding and they have the celebration. And the way you did the wedding, it was a consummation of the wedding. And so when he wakes up the next morning, it's not Rachel laying there next to him. It's Leah. And obviously he's a little upset. So he goes and says to Laban, Laban, you've tricked me. Uh, that was not Rachel. That and he said, well, our, you, know, you should know our tradition. Our tradition is you, the, the younger can't be married before the older. She had to be married first, so you have, had to marry her first. He said, so go ahead and you can marry Rachel. After this week of wedding celebration is over, then you can marry Rachel. So then he marries Rachel, and he works another seven years for Rachel. So into that, into that mix, so, so because Leah was unloved, God opened her womb, and she was like throwing out kids, like, you know, before you know it, she's got six kids. And so then she also has, she says, well, you know, I'm not having kids. She gives her maid to, that, 
that Jacob would have children through the maid. Then finally, uh, Rachel has children. Finally, God opens Rachel's womb, and she has two children. And then she gives his maid, her maid, Bilhah, two, uh, and has two more sons. So you've got, you've got these two wives and these two more maids that become wives. And so you've got this, you've got a mess right here, right? Can you see that that's a mess? There's a conflict here. And so, <laughs> now it says in Genesis 37, now Israel loved Joseph more than his, all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic, a multicolored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers so that they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So, so add to this dysfunctional, already primed for people to hate each other within the family, this dynamic, then uh, <laughs> Israel is not discreet at all. He just shows all the other family that he loves Joseph the most. And that's not going to cause any problems, right? So he lets him know. He makes him a coat that's different than all the other brothers' coats. He makes him this special coat to show that he loved him more. And it says, so his brothers hated him and couldn't speak to him on friendly terms. And on top of that, he's already, he's already come and tattletailed on them. So you got all this family dysfunction. Joseph's not showing a lot of maturity at 17. He's kind of showing a lot of insecurity that he's trying to cover up. So then he has a dream. God gives him a dream, Genesis 37, verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream, and we, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose and also direct. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, how smart is it to tell your older brothers this dream? You know, like he's younger. These are not teenage boys. He's 17. Everybody is older than him. So everybody else is in their 20s and 30s. All the other nine brothers, I don't think Benjamin was involved in this. He was still a little, little baby. All the other nine brothers are in their 20s and 30s. And his, then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Remember that because that's important. Because sometimes one of the most important things you can do is keep your trap shut. Some, isn't that a hard lesson sometimes to learn that you don't need to, everybody doesn't always need your opinion? But mine's the right opinion. They need to hear it. I, I mean, I'm correct, right? So, so he has this dream and they hate him for the dream. Then, he, then God gives him another dream. Now he still had another dream and related to his brother as well and said, Lo, I've had still another dream. And they're like, thank God for that. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he related to his brother, to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow down ourselves before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then Genesis 41 verses 46 tells us, now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So from the age of 17 to 30, God takes Joseph through some things that are going to develop his character. It's about getting Joseph ready. God wants to use Joseph, but he's not ready. God has a plan for Joseph, but it's not ready. So he begins these tests, and these tests continue. And we get tested. You and I get tested. We talked last week about the difference between a temptation and a test. You and I get tested. We get tested because God wants to improve us. He wants us to mature us. He wants to grow into Christ-likeness. So we go through different kinds of tests. See, the reality is, if you're breathing, you haven't fulfilled your destiny. So you're going to take tests over and over again because life changes. Think about if you take a fourth grade math test and you pass it. A fourth grade math test is different than a 12th grade trig and calculus test. You can't go back and say, when you go show up for your 12th grade test, say, but I took this test in the fourth grade. And I made a hundred. They're going to say, guess what? Arithmetic and multiplication aren't the same as trig and calculus. You pass that test, but you have to pass this test too. A lot of times we think, well, I already took this test. Yeah, and situations have changed, and you've grown, and you've matured, and you have a new responsibility, and you have a new area, and now you have to take another test. So life is going to be a series of growing and learning opportunities to challenge. So here's a couple of things. Number one, God's got a dream for you. God's got a dream for everybody. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 in the amplified Bible. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works, which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has a dream. God has a plan for your life. And here's the first thing about your plan. Paul says this about your plan. Your plan starts with Jesus. If you want to see your plan fulfilled, the first thing you need to recognize is that Jesus is the beginning of the plan. And when Jesus is the beginning of the plan, God's dream for you and plan for you is even bigger than your dream for you. You know why? Because God's bigger than you. I don't know if you figured this out, but God's smarter than you too. So God's bigger and smarter than us, and so he's got a bigger and smarter plan for us. And everybody's got a dream from God, just as Joseph's dream was from God. But these character tests where Joseph needs to grow in character, we need to pass these tests so that we're ready to move into our destiny. The larger your destiny, the more character you need. God won't let you step into your destiny if you're not ready. You, what we don't often realize is that often the greater test for us is not the test of failure or the test of adversity, but the test of success. And we've all seen it. We've seen successful people fall from the top of the heap doing really stupid things. Uh, think about David. David did great 
when he was running from Saul, when he was killing giants, but when, when he was successful and he's got rest from his enemies and he's walking around on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath, he doesn't walk into the house and say, ooh, I need to watch out for that. He calls for Bathsheba. And so his failure in his success was, was, was greater. He didn't survive the test of success. He said, see, the first test is the pride test. Yeah, so if you, if you think, well, you know, well, I'm glad I'm here. It's maybe kind of a waste of time today. I don't really need this one. You just failed that test. <laughs> so how, how do we know God's dream for our life? So the first thing, if you want to know God's dream for your life, the first thing you want to do is you want to put first things first. If you want to know God's dream for your life, Jesus said this way, love God with all your heart, love neighbor as yourself. So if you want to put God, if you want to know God's dream for your life, you need to make sure that your life is in the right priority. So you put God first. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He said, get your life in order and God's going to unfold his purpose and destiny for you. Don't seek the gift. Seek the giver of the gift. Put God and your relationship with Jesus Christ as your number one priority. The night that God gave me the dream for my life, which was amazing to me, I'd been saved in a revival meeting about three nights before. And as we were in my tradition, if you didn't go down to the front and pray at the end of the service, you were going to go into hell. So at the end of the service... Uh, I went down there with Mike Brewer because he was going to hell too. Uh, and he was older than me, so he's really going, you know. Uh, so we, I went down and prayed. And while I was praying, I had just given my heart to the Lord and uh, a couple nights before. And while I was praying, I just said to the Lord, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. And I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'm yours my life is yours. I'll do anything you want me to do. And out of, I mean, it was like an audible voice to me. It wasn't audible. Nobody heard. But inside of me, I heard really loudly, I want you to be a pastor. You know, my response was, I didn't say, I said, well, what's the second thing? Because it, it just wasn't, it wasn't on my radar at all. It was you know, it wasn't something I was thinking, I, you know, you know, I think I'll be a pastor someday. No, I was like, I'm not, I would never thought of that in, in, just never would have thought about it. But God, in that moment, changed the trajectory of my life so that I had a different dream. And then he began to fulfill and work on that dream in my life. So God has a plan for you. The second thing we learned from this, from Joseph, is if when God gives you a dream, don't brag about it. The dream was from God, but Joseph bragging about it was not from God. This is the only test that I believe Joseph failed the first time he took it. I think that's why he ended up in the next test, which is the pit text. Pit test. Say that 20 times fast. The dream was from God, but he misinterpreted it. So the dream was from God, and so his, his interpretation of the dream is, oh, everybody's going to bow down to me. I'm going to be the big boss. But... <laughs> God's dream was that he was going to be the big boss, not so that people would bow down to him, but so that through him, he could save the nations. God's going to use little Joseph 
not to just rule over 10 or 11 people, his family. God's going to use little Joseph to do great things, and he's going to save a lot of the known world at the time through his dream that God gives him. So you ever wonder why God gave him these dreams? It was 17, because I think it gave him the incentive to pursue it. <laughs> he had a heart for it because he thought, you know, my, these, these stubborn brothers of mine, nothing like a little family conflict, you know, to get you stirred up. So, you know, his, this ongoing family conflict, he's like, I'll show them. God's given me a dream that's big. And, <laughs> and God knew that if he bragged about it, he'd get thrown in the pit and it would begin the cycle that God had prepared for him to prepare him for ruling and reigning. You know, here's the interesting thing. Joseph eventually ends up in prison. The result of this bragging, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, he's going to get up, thrown in the pit. He's going to be in the palace. He's going to eventually end up in prison. If you're in prison, you haven't forfeited your destiny. If you've made mistakes in your past, and that's like, what do, you mean, what, about, what do you mean by if? If you've made mistakes in your past, they don't disqualify you from God using you. See, the enemy wants to say, yeah, but you messed up. Did you know, even after David messed up, God still used him, and he's the lineage of the Messiah. Yes, David messed up big time, but that wasn't the end. God didn't say, well, I'm done with you. God restored him, God used him, and even if you mess up, even if you, like Joseph at 17, you just do something stupid and it causes bad consequences, God's not done. God's plan's bigger than our sin. God's, big, God's plan's bigger than our mistakes. So God can still use you. Don't think that God can't use you. His brothers hated him. For his dreams and his words. They hate him for the way he talked about himself. He said his words. They were agitated by his words. Uh, don't brag about what you're going to do. Don't boast about your destiny or you'll never reach it. Learn to talk less about yourself. And learn to serve more. Don't brag about the call of God on your life. Don't brag about what you are going to do for God. That... God, you're really lucky to have me. <laughs> Don't brag about what you've done for God. In reality, it's all about what God has done through us. I love it that Paul, Paul who had such a successful ministry, but he had very difficult days. He said, for I'm the least of the apostles. I mean, that's how he views, he views himself. Did he not have confidence in God? Did he not believe God called him? He was very confident in that. But he also believed, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So if we accomplish anything, it's going to be grace, 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 grace. That's why when we get to heaven... And when we get to heaven, the Bible seems to indicate that we're going to get some kind of reward crown for our obedience to God and his word. We don't know what it is, don't know what it looks like. But we also see that when we get it, one of the first things that we do with it is throw it at the feet of Jesus. Because any crown that we got 
is because of what he did in us. It's not us, it's grace. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. If pride's in your heart, it will come out. Pride always has to be heard. Pride always wants to give an opinion. Pride always interrupts because its opinion is more important. Pride can never receive correction. She was quiet during that part, uh, I noticed. Joseph brought a bad report to his brothers before he brought the dream. He had pride in his heart even before he had the dreams. But the dream wasn't the fulfillment of his destiny. His destiny was not just to feed his ego, but to feed nations. Maybe God's given you a big dream, and what he's working on now is humility in your life. He's working on preparing you for the fulfillment of that destiny. What if maybe what you're going through now is the pits? And God is using that to get you ready to walk into your destiny. The third thing is you have to deal with the root of pride. And what is the root of pride? You think, well, what causes pride? Well, well, what's interesting about pride, pride is caused by insecurity, inferiority, and inadequacy. In other words, pride is what we use to cover up not feeling adequate. So here's a guy who is hated by nine brothers. He's grown up, preferred by his father, and hated by his brothers. So this has created this dynamic. He's in this dynamic of being loved by his father and hated by his So out of this dysfunctional family, he's grown up with these insecurities. He, he's never feels, they never accept him. They never say anything good to him. They never praise him. They never encourage him. He's, he's lived with that. And so he's wrestled with this insecurity, this inferiority, and inadequacy. And in your life, every new position is going to give you an opportunity to feel inferior, inadequate, and insecure. If you're not married and you get married, before you get married, you think being married is a piece of cake because we love each other so much, it's going to solve all of our problems. But it doesn't, right? And so... It doesn't take a while after you've been married a while that you feel inadequate for marriage and you need help. And you have to be humble and get help. And if you'll get, be humble and get help and pass the pride test, a lot of people don't get help because they're too prideful. I don't want anybody knowing my business. We're too prideful to get help. And so we don't get help. But, so you, but if you'll get help, you can move forward and you can grow in your relationship. And then before you know it, you think, let's have kids. So you have kids and you think, oh gosh, the, you think, I don't know what I'm doing. And so you turn to the internet, and they know exactly what to do. Uh, you know, just do what the internet says and you'll be fine. Uh, so, you know, you're looking for solutions. And then, then you have, you turn around, and you've got a 12 year old, and you've got a 13 year old. And you've got this 13 year old girl, and she's so mad that you want to slap her. But you can't. Don't. Don't. You just, just want to in your heart, but don't. And then, then, you, then you've got a 70. In other words, life is this challenge. It's always changing. And so you're always having to pass the test of that moment. You passed fourth grade math, and now you have to pass trigonometry. You passed, 
marriage, now you've got to pass children. Now you can pass teens. Now, you, now what's going on at work? Now they've made you a supervisor. Now they're moving you to a different department. They're asking you to do a job you've never done before. And you're like, and all of those things, it's an opportunity to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this story about this prince, and he wants to experience true love. He wants someone to love him for not being the prince. I mean, wouldn't that, if you were the prince, it'd be tough to think. This person, you know, if, if you were a, is it Harry or William? Harry. If you're William, you want to make sure that, that you were loved, not because you're going to be the king someday, but because of who you are. And is, is that the nature of love? We want to be loved for who we are. And so the prince looks out the window one day and he sees a beautiful woman. And he's thinking, oh, man, I'd like to get to know her. Maybe I could fall in love with her. Maybe she could fall in love with me, but I'd want her to know that it's the, the reality. And, of course, he doesn't know. Just because he's beautiful doesn't mean she's not mean as a striped snake. He doesn't know her yet, right? And so he devises a plan. He leaves the palace, and he dresses as a poor man. And he gets a job in the village. And he works, and then he woos this young woman until she loves him and he loves her. Then once she loves him, he tells her, I'm the prince and I want you to marry me. So the prince marries the woman from the village and eventually he becomes king and she's now the queen. So how does the queen deal with inadequacy of remembering that she's just a poor person that he chose? He's royalty and I'm just a plain person. She remembers what he went through to win her love. And in remembering that, Jesus, I'm the queen. And so how do we deal with our inadequacies? Well, we remember that the prince left the throne and he came. And he disguised himself as a poor man. And he, he actually laid down his life to, pro to prove his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we rejoice in that. We, how do we overcome inadequacy? Because of what price was paid for us by the king. How do we overcome it? And then how do we stay humble? Where, how do we also, on the other side of that, how do we stay humble? So we, we get our adequacy in Christ, so how do we stay humble? Well, we remember where we came from. So she can look out the, the window and see the village and say, I was there when the king rescued me. I was there when the king brought me out of just, and made me, he made me royalty. I can remember that. I can rescue it. I was lost. Church that I grew up in, a lot of the, this was real, real common. There was a painting in the foyer of a shepherd. And it's a, on the side of a mountain. There's this craggy mountain. And there's this little sheep that's kind of hanging on to this small ledge. 
Maybe you've seen the, the painting. And the shepherd has climbed down as far as he can, and he's got, he's got his staff, and he's reached that crook around that, that sheep's neck, that little lamb's neck, and he's pulling it out of the abyss. We were that sheep. I'm that sheep. You're that sheep. And the links that God went to to save us, we needed saving, and that keeps us hum- humble. But the links that he went to to save us gives us confidence in who we are. Now we are the sons of God, and it does not appear what we will be, but when we know that when he appears, we will be like him. First test, pride test. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God uses humble people. Not not just broken out of hard life, but those of us that have recognized that we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. And Lord, I I just pray that you would help us. There's pride in our hearts, but often the root of that pride is insecurity. The, The root of that pride is feelings of inadequacy. Lord, so we feel inferior. Not worthy. We've, we've looked around and compared ourselves to other people. We've done the sin of comparison. And so, Lord, we've, we've missed what you're wanting to do in our life. So, Father, we want to find our adequacy in Christ. We want to find our fullness in you. We want to remember the pit that you dug us from. We were lost. We were lost without hope. But you rescued us. Lord, save us from pride so that you can use us for your kingdom. It's not just about our little world, you've called us to a greater destiny to rescue the world around us. That's my destiny. That's your destiny, to rescue the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Have a great week. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.